Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with Joey Coleman. And this is the second time that uh, he's in this podcast. The first time was episode 114. You can check this out when we talked about his uh, first book uh, and how to build lifetime customer loyalty in just 100 days. Now we will talk about his second book. The release date is June 27th. And uh, the title is Never Lose an Employee Again. So now we will focus on employees and culture. Hey, Joey, how are you? Good to have you here again. Daniel, I am thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to everybody who's watching and listening in. I got to tell you, I get the chance to do a lot of podcasts, but this one is particularly special. Are you okay with me sharing why it's so special? Yeah, okay, go ahead. great. So as Daniel mentioned earlier, I was a guest on his podcast on this live stream show uh, a while ago, and we talked about the book. And to be honest, I was so captivated by Daniel and I was so intrigued by the business he's built that after we turned off the cameras and stopped recording, we started talking about his business. And it sounded so remarkable that I thought, I want to include this story in my next book. So yes, the next book is called Never Lose an Employee Again, and it features a case study of your host, Daniel Budai, and the team he has put together at Budai Media, talking about how do we create those kinds of uh, deep personal and emotional connections with our remote employees. So it's pretty rare that I get to be interviewed by someone that I interviewed for the book on their show to talk about them being in the book. It feels very meta, but it's very fun. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And if we go back even more, uh, you remember how we got connected? Uh, I think you remember? Let, oh, I'm trying to think. Help, help refresh my memory just a little bit. So I posted on LinkedIn about my top three books about yes. uh, customer loyalty. And uh, one of the, it was your book, the one of them, Never Lose a Customer Again. And I tagged your name. And then I think you commented below or maybe messaged me. But after we got connected and uh, I just invited you into my podcast. So, you know, things... Uh, Things are crazy, right? It's fun how that works. Never have met in person, although we were just talking, we might yeah. actually get the chance to meet in person here in a few weeks. But yeah, it's it's an absolute delight. And uh, let's make sure we definitely talk about the case study uh, during our conversation that we feature of you in the book. I know hosts like you are very gracious and don't usually talk about themselves, but I'll push that into the agenda a little bit if I may. Amazing. So let's uh, start with your book. So when did you come up with the idea of this book? And uh, you wrote the first book, Never Lose a Customer Again. It was a success. And uh, what happened after? 
two things happened, Daniel. Number one, when I started consulting and speaking on customer experience 20 years ago, I had been doing that for about five minutes when I realized that you can't have a remarkable customer experience unless you have great employees. Your employees are the ones who are delivering the experience and your team members and your people. So early on, I realized that that was an important piece of the conversation. But in many organizations, not all, but in many customer experience sits in one side of the business, maybe marketing, sales, customer service, account management. It's all over there. Whereas employee experience sits over in the HR department. And usually, with all due respect to our friends in HR, if somebody gets told we're going to invite HR to the meeting, it usually means someone's getting in trouble, that there's something bad, that there's a problem. So when I wrote the first book, I thought, I'm going to keep this focused on the customers. But I always knew that we would eventually need to address the employee experience. The other interesting thing that happened is about three months after my first book came out, I got an email from a reader. And all the email said, I'd never met this person before. All the email said was, dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I would buy it. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And then I got another one and another one. Again, all they said, dear Joey, if you wrote a book called Never Lose an Employee Again, I would buy it. And because of that, I thought, Let's get into it and start to investigate. And here we are several years later with a finished book, Never Lose an Employee Again. Yeah, that's a message from the universe, right? Or at Very least true. Leaders. Oh, 100% it's a message from the universe, Daniel. You are correct. So you mentioned eight different phases of the employee journey. And I remember in your first book, I think it was also eight. eight it was. Yeah. So what are those eight phases of an employee's journey? So what's interesting, Daniel, is the eight phases of the employee journey line up directly with the eight phases of the customer journey. And the reason for that is humans are humans. Whether you are a customer or employee, you're seeking the same things. Feelings of personal and emotional connection, feelings of significant and worth. The ability to see yourself making progress and growing. The ability to feel that your work is having an impact and changing lives. So the eight phases are as follows. And I'll give you a quick preview. They all start with the letter A. And it's kind of like if you were to give uh, a report card to your employees, they would give you straight A marks, all good grades for Mm -hmm. the experience you're creating. So the first phase is the assess phase. This is when a prospective employee is considering whether or not to come work for you. They're looking at your job listings, your career page. They're, you know, they're talking to other people they might know that work at your company. They're going through your interview and application process. We then come to the accept phase. In the accept phase, the employer identifies the candidate they'd like to have join the organization. They extend an offer, and that candidate accepts the offer, officially transitioning from prospective employee to actual employee. We then come to phase three. Now, phase three is where many organizations begin to struggle mightily. Phase three is called the affirm phase. You may be familiar with the concept of buyer's remorse. I'd like to introduce everyone potentially to a new concept called new hire's remorse. This is where a newly hired employee begins to doubt the decision they just made to join your organization. 
in that phase, we need to reaffirm their choice so that they don't have any fear, doubt, or uncertainty about joining your team. We then come to the activate phase, phase four, the first day on the job. Yes, folks, we're four phases through the eight phases, and we're finally to the first day on the job. It's the only phase that is one day long. All the other phases are many days. This one is just one. And the secret in the activate phase is to energize the relationship, to give that new employee wonderful, remarkable feelings on that first day, to give them something to talk about. We then come to the acclimate phase. This is the second place where many organizations start to fall apart. The acclimate phase starts on day two, and it lasts for weeks, even months, as the new employee gets used to your way of doing business. They make connections with the rest of the team. They learn their roles, their responsibilities, the requirements of the job. What are you doing to hold their hand in the acclimate phase? We then come to phase six, the accomplish phase, when the employee achieves the goal they originally had when they decided to accept your job offer. Then the adopt phase, when an employee becomes loyal to you and only you, they're committed, they're not looking anywhere else, they want to be an employee long-term. And finally, if and only if you've gotten them through the previous seven phases, do you have the privilege of inviting them into the eighth phase, the advocate phase, where the employee becomes a raving fan, singing your praises far and wide, writing reviews on Glassdoor. Whenever you have a new open position, they're getting their friends and colleagues to come and apply for the job because they are committed not only to the organization's success, but to playing a personal role in driving that success forward. Amazing. Thanks for mapping out this journey. Um... Yeah, so I have a few related questions. You mentioned uh, new hires more. So how can a company avoid that happen? Well, the main reason, a comp- or the main way, Daniel, that an organization can avoid that new hire's remorse is to actually communicate with the employee during that time. So many organizations, they make an offer, the employee accepts the offer, and they say, well, when would you like to your start date? And they say, the 30th of next month. And they say, great, we'll see you then. Mm -hmm. And that's the last communication they have with the new employee until they show up for work on the 30th, a month later. Even communicating with the employee is going to help counter any negative feelings or fears or doubts they have. A lot of companies think about what can we do to make that person feel welcome early on in the process? How can we connect with them early on in the process? And knowing that uh, so many of your viewers and listeners are in the technology space and do things associated with technology, there's a case study in the book from Adobe. Now I'll tell you, most of the case studies in the book are from companies of less than 100 people. Adobe, more than 100 people. But what they do is something any business can do. It's not expensive. After the new employee accepts a position at Adobe, they receive an email. And that email is a video from the CEO talking about the vision of Adobe and how excited they are to have this new employee involved. It's pretty short. It's a two-minute video. It cuts back and forth between actual Adobe employees and pictures of the diversity of the team and how they have people all over the world interspersed with comments from the CEO talking about their vision, their commitment, enrolling, inviting in this new employee to be part of something bigger than themselves and something exciting. 
This is something any business could do. You should, yeah. could shoot a video with your team talking about how excited you are to welcome this new member. And that video will not only get watched once, but I promise you it will get watched many times as the employee shares it with their family members, their friends. This is where I'm going to work. They might even post it on social media. It's all about communicating with them to reaffirm that choice. Actually, that's something we also do in my company. So, um, and we already do it in the hiring process because we know it's, it's marketing for ourselves. It's, you know, we, we market the whole company basically. And when we have applicants in the interview, many of them, they say that I really like the video of Ben. He seemed to be so passionate and I, I, love to, I, I would love to join this company. So you can use it in the hiring process but also after, once you hired someone, you can uh, send these videos from the already, you know, existing employees or the CEO can shoot a video with the vision. Actually, that's a great example. And I'm happy that not just small companies do it, but big ones as well. Absolutely. So, well, and I'm not surprised that someone who is a case study in the book is already doing some of the other things that are case studies in the book. I'll have to work harder to find something you're not already doing, Daniel. I will read the book and I'm sure I will find something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that there are three or four phases before the first uh, working day, which is yes. surprising. And how can a company max out the experience of the very first day? Because I will tell you, I, I think I read this somewhere, but many companies, they, they, have, they don't really have an onboarding process. They see the new employee. Actually, my last nine to five was the same. So I showed up on the very first day and nobody knew who I was. Uh, you know, they, they look at me like, hey, you are the postman or <laughs> you have a package or something. And, right. yeah, I'm a new employee. I, I came here to work and ah, all right, I will find someone to teach you. And it was just very, you know, in the moment, uh, not very professional. So that was my last experience with a night fight. Daniel, sadly, this has been the experience of almost everyone who is of working age. At some point, they have showed up at a new job where the people seemed surprised that they were there. Yeah. Even if we just knew the day the employee was starting, and made sure everyone on the team knew that a new employee was starting, that would automatically put us better than so many businesses on the planet. That just, it's an afterthought. But what I often like to think about is there's a uh, country Western singer in the United States by the name of Bonnie Raitt. And she wrote a very famous song called where the punchline was, let's give them something to talk about. I like to think about that song when planning first day experiences. What are you going to do to create an experience that is so wonderful for that new employee that when they go home and they open the door and they're greeted by their roommate, their partner, their significant other, their spouse, their children, their parents, whoever it is that they live with, or they're on the way home and they're on the phone talking to that person. The first question that that person is going to ask is how was your first day at work? Yeah. What are you going to design your first day to look like so that when that employee is asked that question, they've got something to talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you have a beer with your friends or, or you go 
home, you know, to your family, you have a wife and or, or a husband and she or he asks you how was your it, it's a topic for sure. I uh, Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you want them to say I showed up and no one knew it was my first day? Do you want them to say I showed up and all I did was fill out paperwork all day and learn about my benefits and, you know, yeah. watch people work? Do you want to tell them that you showed up and you were required to watch HR videos and, mm -hmm. you know, go to lunch with people that didn't know who you were and try yeah. to make forced conversation. No, you want them to be able to say, I contributed. I felt welcomed. I actually got to do things on my first day. There's a company that I profile in the book called Hootsuite. Hootsuite mm -hmm. helps people manage their social media accounts all in one platform. And Hootsuite does something very different than the typical technology firm. When they hire engineers and developers, most engineers and developers, when they show up at a new job, have to learn the way of operating for a while mm -hmm. before they're allowed to push code, which if you're not a coder, Daniel knows what this means, but other people may not know that when you actually contribute code to the actual software. At Hootsuite, you do it on day one. The employees push code the first day. And when they do, they do two interesting things. Number one, they message everyone on the team and announce that this person has just pushed code. And then there's huge clapping and cheering. So there's a digital acknowledgement and an analog acknowledgement mm -hmm. that this new employee is officially part of the team and they're already contributing. Yeah, Every business on the planet could find something for a new employee to do on the first day that would allow them to immediately feel like they're contributing to the team. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's less about the actual uh, output. I mean, they don't accept uh, to come up with something amazing on day one, obviously, but it's more about the experience that they want, to, they want them to solve a problem on day one, which is a great feeling for the person. Exactly. And they want them to be able to kind of see their name in lights because mm -hmm. what they do is they push into the source code and they yeah. add their name to the list of engineers and developers that are actively working. And what I love about this example is remember what I said about going home that night and being with your loved ones. Imagine mm -hmm. being able to say, let me show you what I did at work today yeah, and to yeah. go to the software and to flip it into the source view mode to see what's going on and say, there's my name in lights. I am starting to be part of this team. I am starting to contribute. I did that. Yeah. I don't know about you, Daniel. The feeling that one gets when they first start to contribute to an organization is magical. Why do we push that feeling off? Why not allow that feeling to be experienced the first day on the job? Yeah, that's amazing. And I think literally all companies, they could implement this absolutely absolutely so the last stage is the advocate stage right yes and is should it be a goal that uh, we try to push people to this stage as fast as possible is it a is it a good goal in your opinion and also how to achieve that i think taking the steps to put them on the path to becoming an advocate is absolutely a good goal Trying to do it as quickly as possible, not a good goal. 
I liken this to being on a date with someone. You you're single. You go on a date with someone for the first time. You're at the nice restaurant eating. And before the waiter or waitress even comes and takes your order, you say, so when do I get to meet your parents? If that happened in a dating relationship, usually the person is going to say that will be never that you get to meet my parents. I need to leave now. Businesses do the same thing expecting advocates, whether that's customer advocates or employee advocates. We rush it too fast. What I would rather see is you begin the process of thinking, what do I need to do to make this person an advocate? How can I walk them through the eight phases as cleanly and as clearly and as efficiently as possible so that we can get them to that advocate phase? Because it is very rare if if not ever, that someone jumps from the first day on the job to being a raving fan advocate. Because when we think about what someone has to do when they advocate for our brand, they're putting their name and reputation on the line. When I say to you, Daniel, you should come work at my company. You should do business with my company. If that doesn't work well, that impacts our friendship. So it's a big thing for your employees to refer their friends and their loved ones to come work for you. I think many employers miss that. They think, oh, but I'm giving you $100 for every candidate you refer that we hire. Or, you know, we're doing this special thing for you. You're part of the team. Why wouldn't you want to help? Well, because I was in relationship and friends with those people before I joined the team. And I will still have that social capital with them after I leave this team. So that's actually where the allegiance and the advocacy lies. Mm -hmm. As employers, we're trying to borrow that for the time that they're involved. Last thing I'll say on this is advocates don't have to be on your payroll. What do I mean by that? Someone who used to be an employee could still be an advocate for your organization, even though they've left the company and they've moved on to a different position. Mm -hmm. And that's all going to depend on how you treated them on their way out. If on their way out of the company, you're angry and you're hurt and frustrated that they're not going to stay with you anymore and you burn that bridge, you've just lost an advocate in the marketplace. Whereas if you say, I'm excited for you, I understand why you're leaving. We wish you would stay, but you will always have a place here. You'll always be part of our family. You'll always be part of our story. Even if they don't actually come back to work. And frankly, many employees do. A significant number of employees are boomerang employees. They will come back eventually. Even if they don't, you now have little advocates out in the market talking about how great you are, talking about what a great place it was to work, referring you clients, referring you employees. Don't let an advocate only be a current employee. Think about advocates that are past employees as well. Yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, I never thought about it. Uh, I think we have those people, for example, Douglas, who already left the company um uh, since our last conversation you you know him you emailed with him he he was our hr person now he doesn't work here anymore but uh he's i think he's still a big fan of our company and we sent him a nice gift and he really liked it and uh we have a great relationship but you can have these advocates without having them as 
active employees. So that's something very interesting. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I'm not surprised that you and Douglas are still friends, that he's still a fan of Budai Media, that you're still in connection, because that's what it means to be a remarkable employer. Mm-hmm. Never lose an employee again isn't about keeping all the employees forever. That's not what the book is about. It's not what the title is about. The key word in the title is lose. Lose implies they left and there was a hole in the relationship. Yeah, There's yeah. no more connection or they left and you didn't want them to leave or you didn't support their departure. Your employees are only going to be with you for a period of time. The days of going to work for an employer and being there for 40 years, 50 years, those days are gone. I'm sorry they are. I know some people wish those were still the days. Those aren't the days anymore. What we can do now is recognize that this employee is going to be with us for a chapter of their life, not all the chapters. What can we do to make that chapter the best chapter? Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. So I ran through the case studies and one of them was McKinsey, the, the huge consulting conglomerate. And... I really liked what they, I think it's even on their website that we know there are many vacancies out there. There are many great companies and you won't work here forever. And I just uh, listened to a podcast with an agency, a competitor of ours, but they are bigger company, around 150 people now. And the guy shared something very similar that we know that the agency space is not the space where people want to stay forever because let's be honest, if uh, somebody gets very smart with Facebook advertising or, or you know something else, more technical thing, then they can get hired by Google or, or big tech companies. They can pay you much more and probably even the work environment is better. You can play volleyball during the day and so on. So you know, it's, it's not a secret that it's not, the, not even the best place in the world and there are many better out there. So how, how can someone embrace this? And as a leader, how can someone communicate this? Oh, Daniel, it's a, it's a wonderful question and it's a somewhat difficult question. I think it's a, it's a mindset shift. So mm-hmm. many leaders uh, are founders right? Especially in the beginning in a business, the person who is leading the business is often the founder of the business. And when an employee comes and joins the business, they feel validated. They feel supported. They feel like they're not in it alone anymore. They've got someone else. And when that person says they're going to leave, many owners feel betrayed. They feel that, you know, it's a personal affront to them, even Mm -hmm. if the reason the person is leaving has nothing to do with them. I was talking to a client the other day that one of their employees, his wife got her dream job in another state. It was the job she had hoped to have her entire career. Mm -hmm. So she took the job, which means he's moving. Now, the employer could have said, 
you're dead to me. You're leaving me. I'm hurt. I'm offended. It's over. Instead, the employer, which is much easier to do in 2023 and beyond than any other time in human history, the employer said, would you be open to working remotely? Would you be open to flying back to see us once every two months or once every three months coming and spending some time with the team in person? Mm -hmm. It turned into a win-win for everyone. If as an employer, you are angry that an employee is leaving, I'd like you to consider why you invited them to be part of the team in the first place and how long you expected them to be there. Most employees, as I said before, are there for a chapter. Don't push them to be there for more than one chapter if a chapter is all they need. The more we serve our employees, the more they will serve us as advocates like those at McKinsey do. Yeah. So I have this book here. Uh, the listeners cannot see it, but it's OGLV on advertising. Um, and this is one of the best books on marketing. This is an old one. It was written in the 70s, 80s. Yes. This guy, he had a huge agency with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. And he said that uh, if employees leave, they want, they want them to be much smarter than they were when they joined the company. And if that happens, then he dies you know, happy. Uh, yes. Happy. So... Yeah, and I think that's a great mindset. Um, we had this conversation internally. What happens if we hire someone that we know that uh, they want to start their own business later? Is it a problem or not? I think it's a similar problem. And uh, some of our people, they said mm, it's a red flag because they will leave very early in a few months. They will launch their own business. And uh, we had an HR consultant. He told us, no, it's actually good because entrepreneurial people, they are usually, you know, self-driven and, and self-starters. And that's great for the company. And uh, you don't want, you know, those people who are just employees, but they, they don't want to start things in general. So, so yeah. Um, I'm getting a bit lost in my own thoughts. No, but. no, I love it. Well, if I may, two two interesting things. Number one, there's a case study from Ogilvy in the book. You're right. Oh, They're really? an amazing wow. organization. So Ogilvy wow. and Mather's Cape Town, South Africa office is a case okay. study in the book. But in addition, this idea of hiring entrepreneurs who might leave to go on and do something else, this is a different thought about the advocate phase. And the thought is, how can we advocate for our employees? There's a company in the U.S. called Zogix that makes cleaning equipment, cleaning supplies, fans, all kinds of things to make the environment in an office or a gym or a spa better. And they have a brand new program that they've put together in the last two years called Launch Cash. The way mm -hmm. Launch Cash works is if you come to them and say, I'm thinking about starting my own business. They'll say the following, great, what can we do to support? Let's start to teach you things about our business and how the business operates. You're going to start having private meetings with the CEO to help make sure you succeed with your business. And when you leave, we're going to give you some money to start your new business. Hmm. Okay. Now, many business owners would look at that and say, wait a second, you're paying them to start a new business and not be an employee? Yes. 
because the CEO, Paul LeBlanc's philosophy is if they were good enough to invite into our team and to have become part of our team and to contribute here and grow here, the least I can do is contribute to their growth and success going forward. This is a very different approach than most employers take. Yeah. But I will tell you, do you think they get more people applying for their jobs and excited to come work for them than their competitors? Absolutely. Because they know that their employer cares about them as much as the employer cares about the business. Last thing I'll say on this, so many employers that I meet around the world, business owners will say to me, Joey, I wish my employees cared as much about the business as I do. I understand that feeling. I've had that feeling as an employer. But my response to them always is, have, have, you, have you ever thought about the fact that your employees wish that you cared as much about them as you do the business? Mm. When we make that philosoph philosophical shift, when we change our mindset and our belief and our attitudes towards this, the experience of being an employee gets better. Yeah, yeah, that's a great quote. Yeah. Um, so we got a question uh, from Michael on LinkedIn, and he says, uh, could you please address employee complacency? So pretty much related topic. Um, what would you say about this topic? How can we avoid this? I, <laughs> it's a tricky question. It's a tricky question indeed, and it's one that many employers uh, struggle with. I would ask a couple of questions first before I offered suggestions. Number one, how are we defining complacency? Is complacency someone not being engaged in the work? Is complacency that they don't seem to care about the business as much as I do? Is complacency they're not doing their job? These are very different things that we might be using the same word to describe, that there might be better words to describe it. Yeah. If it's the person not doing their job, not living up to the roles and the requirements of their job and the responsibilities, my first question would be, do they know what those roles, responsibilities, and requirements are? Was that part of the training? Was that part of the onboarding? Have you had conversations with them? Or did you just throw them into the pool and expect them to be able to swim? If it's engagement, I would ask the question, what have we done to invest them and enroll them in a bigger mission, a bigger cause? Most employees, most human beings want to be part of something significant. Seth Godin has a brand new book on this topic. Seth is a masterful writer. His book is called The Song of Significance. And he talks about this idea that humans want to be significant. They want their contributions, their impact to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged, and they want to move the dial. Often employees are complacent because we haven't given them something bigger to focus on. We've given them rote tasks that they don't see the impact they have, they don't see the connection they have, and they get bored with doing it. The last thing I'll say on complacency, have you as a business leader ever felt complacent? Have you ever felt like, why am I doing this? What yeah. purpose does this have? So have I. So here's the thing. Complacency in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's okay to have. The problem is if we stay in that feeling 
for too long. Yeah. If as an employer, you know that there are employees on your team that are complacent, they're in that feeling. Instead of getting angry, get curious. Sit down and talk to them about what's going on. When we originally brought you on, you seemed so excited. You seemed so eager. And in the first few weeks and months here, you were engaged. You were doing wonderful things. Now that you've been here for a while, seems like you're not having as much fun. Am I correct? Am I reading this right? What we often find is that there is something else going on in the person's life that they haven't told us about. They're dealing with a sick child or a sick parent. They're dealing with, you know, a challenging situation for their spouse or their significant other or in one of their relationships, something that they felt they couldn't tell us about, but is clearly impacting their work. They don't seem as present. They don't seem as focused. They don't seem as engaged. If we get curious first and we lead from a place of empathy, our ability to re-engage our employees is much greater. Yeah, I think that's probably the number one reason, personal personal things, why uh, you may think that this person became complacent, but in most cases they have something personal. And uh, that's why it's important to have a good personal relationship with your people, not just a you know, very professional, very formal relationship so they can share these kind of things. Absolutely. Daniel, if I may, one of the things that people often ask me when we talk about this is they say, well, Joey, I don't want to be invasive. I don't want to breach their privacy by getting into it. Your employees have a level of interest in sharing what matters to them. Now, Mm -hmm. we want to be careful with that, of course. But the secret for leaders is to go first. What do I mean by that? Are you sharing with your employees what's going on in your life? Are you sharing with them what your struggles are? I was talking to my amazing assistant, Faith, the other day. She's incredible. She does remarkable work. And I said, how are you doing today? And she said, well, I'm a little tired. And I said, oh, I so appreciate you sharing that. Thanks for letting me know. If you don't mind my asking, were you just having a hard time sleeping last night? Is something wrong? And she says, well, I have a toddler. Of course she's tired. Little kids wake up more than big kids, right? And I know that she has a toddler, but instead of presuming that that's why she was feeling a little tired, I asked. And then what I tried to do is create the space to say, you know, if we need to move a little slower today, that's okay. Why? Because what's more important, my growing business or her growing child? That would be her growing child. I'm under no false illusion as to what's most important to her. And by default, what's most important to her should be most important to me. Because if I make her family a priority, the likelihood of her being interested in making me a priority is much greater. And to be honest, she makes me a priority all the time. I'm constantly asking her to send emails on my behalf, make calls, figure things out. She does the wonderful things for me. Can I return that favor as her leader, as her boss? Of course, she's a member of the team. So I think we have the opportunity to get curious and get empathetic. Yeah, and uh, leaders should be proactive on this. So 
they shouldn't wait for for the employees doing it first because you know the employees they usually follow the leader's behavior so they reflect your behavior and i can see this every day even in a very subtle way you know i if i use more uh, bad words more cursing uh during my day-to-day work then they start doing the same and we have to stop doing it <laughs> so you can see this every day and you must be proactive on on this um and i remember when i started my career i saw a few guys doing it very well and i learned a lot from them and i mean even subtle things like sorry guys uh and you know on slack i just write the message uh like sorry guys today i have some headaches so i'm a bit slow today just things like this yes i remember when i started out it wasn't nor a normal thing for me because I never seen this before. So I well, it. and lots of times, you know, if I may, as leaders, we think I need to be always on. Yeah, I need to be the one who's always happy, who's always smiling, who's always positive, who's always enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. you actually need to be human in front of your people. They need to know that you have bad days, too. And the authenticity that comes from sharing those things, the connection, the respect, as well as the permission. Because if you can say, hey, guys, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a bit of a tough day today, um, may not be thinking as clearly as usual, thanks for your patience with me, creates the space for an employee to say the same thing. And when an employee feels safe, when an employee feels that they can be who they are at work without judgment, without criticism, but instead that that is met with support and empathy, they will be loyal. They will want to stay because not every workplace is like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are the closing words for today. And uh, thanks, Joey. It was a great conversation again. So the new book's title is Never Lose an, em- an Employee Again, and the release date is June 27th. And if I'm not mistaken, you will also release an audio book, right? You are correct. So the book is coming out on the 27th and available in all three formats. There's a hardcover if you like to write in the book and turn the pages yourself. There's an ebook if you'd rather be able to highlight them in your Kindle or Nook. And if you've enjoyed the sound of my voice, there's an audio book that I narrate. Now, Daniel, I appreciate that we're wrapping up, but I promised folks that I'd talk a little bit about your case study. So I'll just tease this. We won't give the whole reveal, but I'll tease this. When Daniel and I originally talked, he had employees around the world. I presume that's still the case. We went from Bali to Budapest in terms of the time zones, okay? So many time zones, so many different people operating in different parts of the world, different cultures, different roles, different responsibilities. And one of the amazing things Daniel does is he helps those folks feel connected in this digital world with an analog gift. And is it okay if I share what the gift is, Daniel? Or should we keep it a surprise? All right. So the gift is when somebody joins the team, when they're new to the team, they get a package. And when they open that package, it's a coffee mug. Now, the coffee mug doesn't have the Budai Media logo on it because respectfully, no one in the world is sitting anywhere saying, I want a mug with a logo on it. Not just Budai Media, any company. Nobody wants that. What it does have is photos 
of all the other employees in the company. So immediately you've got a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and you're looking at your new coworkers. I think it's a brilliant idea. It's a small idea with a big impact. It's an inexpensive idea with a huge return on investment. And it's one of the many remarkable things that Daniel and his team do to create the kind of experiences that allow them to have employees operating remotely all over the world, but feeling connected to their organization. Yeah, thank you, Joey. And uh, actually, since then, we have even more gifts that we give to our people, the most loyal people, the biggest advocates. We do the same with clients nowadays. But I think uh, when it comes to gifting, you want something that feels personal, putting, you know, people's faces on that or, or, or something just really personal, not just the logo, because everyone does it. And I don't know, just so boring. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thanks again, Joey. And thanks, everyone who listened to this podcast and uh, check out the new book. We will put the link into the description and stay tuned every week. I come out with two new episodes and thanks a lot again. Have a great day. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks everybody for watching.